Good evening. Well, we haven't been here together studying God's Word on Wednesdays for the last uh, last week, last Wednesday, because we had our worship night, Soul Shelter worship night. But we pick it up again this evening, and we are in Second Chronicles chapter 27. We're actually only going to look at chapter 27. And that's just nine verses, but there's some great stuff for us to consider here. Uh, we're going to be looking at the reign of, of Jotham, king of Judah. And he is a very obscure name because most people have never heard his name. We're more familiar with kings like Hezekiah, Joash, Josiah, and maybe not so much with Jotham. And yet there's much we can learn from his life and his reign, though not a whole lot is recorded for us. It's almost what's not recorded that's important in that we don't have any record of any major failures. And in and of itself, that is a blessing especially looking at the lives of his father, his grandfather, and his great-grandfather, you saw a, a history of men that started out well, but then at a certain point uh, either became proud or got into idolatry uh, or uh, became wicked and as a result suffered the consequences, and so did the nation as a result. So let's open in prayer and we'll get into our study this evening. Not a very long study, but a study nonetheless that will encourage us to have hearts that are perfect toward him. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day, the beautiful weather you've provided in this lovely time of year, and the opportunity we have to be together in your word, to learn and to grow, to be the kind of people that bless you with our lives. Lord, as we open your word this evening, touch our hearts, speak to those areas of our lives that need to be spoken to. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's start right off in verse 1 of chapter 27 in Second Chronicles. We read that Jotham was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. His mother's name was Jerusha, daughter of Zadok. Let's just stop right there. We're introduced to this king and his ascent to the throne. We know from previous studies, actually in chapter 26 of this book, we learned that he actually ascended to the throne as co-regent. You get used to hearing that word because the kings of Judah especially, and especially during this time, when one king would go off to war, he would leave his son, generally. The son would be left as the co-regent in Jerusalem to rule and to reign in the place of the king who was leading the army against enemies, foreign enemies. So, he actually, this King Jotham, actually ascended to the throne as co-regent in the 40th year of his father's reign. Now, his father reigned for 52 years, so 12 years before this man died, that is his father Uzziah, uh, he was the secondary king, if you will, the son of the king. Uh, we might call him the crown prince today, but they referred to him as king. Uh, but the Lord had afflicted his father Uzziah with leprosy because of his pride. You'll remember two weeks ago, we studied this together. And while Uzziah was afflicted with leprosy, he was relieved of his responsibilities as king, and his son Jotham was made ruler in Judah. So this man who was so filled with pride that he insisted on not just being the king, but also being a priest, the high priest, because he tried to offer incense on the altar, his pride brought him low to the point where he wasn't really even the king anymore, only in name, for his son really ruled the kingdom. Now, Jotham took charge of the palace, we're told, in Second Chronicles 26, 19 through 21. 
Jotham took charge of the palace, and he governed the people of Judah until his father died. His father basically deteriorated over a period of time, and he, and he just died a slow and agonizing, awful death. But Jotham, Jotham reigned as king for 16 years. Now, his name in Hebrew literally means Jehovah is perfect. And it doesn't say that Jotham was perfect, because Jotham wasn't perfect, but Jehovah is perfect, and Jotham put his trust in Jehovah, and as a result, you can say of all the reigns of the kings of Judah that his was nearly perfect, at least from what's recorded in history, in the Bible. He was 25 years old, he became king, and he was 37 when his father succumbed to leprosy. Now his father Uzziah, as I've said, ruled for 52 years, with him as co-regent for the last 12. So this man became king while his father was still alive and learned to rule and reign under his father's authority. So this is a man that from the very beginning knew what it was like to be accountable. And I think I can say this, if you are accountable, you will be successful. If you are accountable, when you have authority, if you're accountable, you'll be successful. It is those individuals or those, those people, it is those people who are not accountable to anyone that generally become unsuccessful, or may I even go so far as to say moral failures. I read all the time of pastors of churches where the pastor just sort of did his own thing and there was no accountability whatsoever for spending money or making decisions about the church or Sometimes what a pastor will do is have a board of yes men and women that just kind of, he suggests they do something and they just kind of do it because that's the way it is. And if the pastor doesn't like one of the board members, he just removes them. There's no problem. You know, he just kind of gets his way. When you see any organization, any government ruled over by one person with everyone else not able to hold that person accountable, it's just a matter of time before that government, that organization, that church, that company, that corporation fails. Why? Because none of us are perfect. In fact, hidden within Jotham's name, which means Jehovah is perfect, is the obvious response to that name. When we say Jehovah is perfect, you can really infer from that, and you're not. Jehovah is perfect. The contrast is, only he's perfect. That is, you're not perfect. And if you get into a position of authority, understanding that truth that only God is perfect and you're not, you're going to be a lot more humble than most people. I think one of the biggest mistakes pastors make is in thinking that they're either perfect or or darn near close to perfect. That their decisions are the best and that when they make a decision, it's without question. I mean, you have organizations, I was going to say organizations, but really uh, a denomination or church like uh, Catholic Church, where, quite frankly, they have this doctrine of papal infallibility. They don't talk about it much today, but it really suggests that when the Pope says something acting as the head of the church, it's without question infallible. That is, it's perfect. There's only one problem. Popes throughout the centuries have contradicted one another and, and have done some unjust and awful things. So clearly men are not perfect. Only God is. If you believe that, say amen. Okay, if you believe that only God is perfect, how are you accountable in your life? 
Husbands and wives are accountable or should be accountable to one another for the managing of their home and their marriage and their children and their family. There has to be that accountability. If you run a company, a business, you're the head of a corporation, is there accountability? With publicly traded companies, and I worked for a publicly traded company for 20 years, corporation, uh, there was a lot of accountability, more so than in a privately owned company, but still there are laws, there are rules, there's propriety, there are things that must be obeyed, and yet we see more and more today companies just flaunting authority, doing what they want, when they know what they're doing is both morally wrong and in many cases corrupt and illegal. They do it anyway, mostly because they pay off the politicians that would actually hold them accountable. There is a lack of accountability in our world today. Have you figured that out yet? You know, one of the things that's so frustrating, and not to bum everyone out, but, you know, we have people in government that are so thoroughly corrupt and they never seem to go to jail. They never seem to get convicted of anything. They seem to get away with murder, quite literally. And I think after a while, we get tired of that. We want accountability for others, and we need accountability for ourselves. Jotham became king, and his first 12 years as king, he was accountable to his father and to others. And I would suggest to you that being accountable in life is going to keep you safe. It's going to make you successful. So don't fight it. When someone calls into question a decision you're making, listen to them. Be willing to hear the concerns of others. And ultimately, you may need to make a decision that's contrary to someone's advice. But at least hear someone out. So many people just close their ears and do what they want and think, well, I know better than you. Many, many people have failed in life for lack of listening to good counsel. So that's the first thing I'll note about Jotham's life. It's it's almost like what's not written there is this understanding that while God is perfect, he seems to have realized he wasn't. Now, here's what we do know. His mother, godly woman, uh, she was the daughter of a man by the name of Zadok. Zadok means righteous in Hebrew. So this was a family who clearly understood what it was to be righteous. And I suspect that after Uzziah was stricken with leprosy, he had been a good king his whole life, that maybe that humbled him a little bit. What do you think? I suspect that his heart was probably right before God, but he had done something that required God's judgment or at least God's Uh, chastisement in his life. And so he's suffering the consequences of his sin and his pride. But in that time, being separated, living as a uh, quarantined, if you will, as a leper, he had a lot of time to think about what he had done. He'd done so many good things. But this one bad thing, it brought him low and brought him to a place of isolation and affliction. But we do know that Jotham was a good king. Now, his relationship with the Lord, I'm going to read a few verses here from verse 2 to verse 6, and we'll talk about what's written there. In Second Chronicles 27, picking it up in verse 2, we're told that Jotham did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Uzziah had done. But unlike him, that is unlike Uzziah, he did not enter the temple of the Lord. So you see that that was the one mistake that Uzziah made. The people, however, continued in their corrupt practices. So here's an interesting situation. You have a a good king, but you have the people who are corrupt. Yet it's interesting when you have a good king and corrupt people, the nation still stays on course. There are always going to be corrupt people in our world. But when our leaders are corrupt, it pretty much sinks the ship. 
It pretty much means that you could have 51% of the people living righteously, but if the leader is corrupt, most of the nation, most of the things that are happening in that nation are going to be corrupt as well. You don't need but to watch the news tonight to realize that. So the people, however, continued in their corrupt practices. Now Jotham rebuilt the upper gate of the temple of the Lord and did extensive work on the wall at the hill of Ophel. He built towns in the Judean hills and forts and towers in the wooded acres. Jotham made war on the king of the Ammonites. Now those were wicked peoples who lived on their border. And conquered them. And that year the Ammonites paid him a hundred talents of silver, 10,000 cores of wheat, 10,000 cores of barley. The Ammonites brought him the same amount also in the second and third years. One of the ways you know a king is successful is the nation is economically in a good place. It goes on to say in verse 6 that Jotham grew powerful and we're told why. Because he walked steadfastly before the Lord his God. Now, I am not an economist. I don't pretend to be. I seem to know more than most these days, but that doesn't matter. What I do know that if you spend more than you have, that's not good fiscal responsibility, right? So there's so little accountability in our government today. They just pass bills and spend money we don't have, and we pay for all kinds of ridiculous things. And again, that's corruption. That's what corruption is. But when a man or a woman, a leader of a nation or a group of people live in this way where they, as it describes here, walk steadfastly before the Lord their God, something wonderful and amazing happens. God blesses that leader in a wonderful way. And the people they lead, and you look at what happened here, they were financially successful. And you might think, oh, he must have been good with numbers. He must have been like a good economist or really understood trade. No, he was powerful, and we're told why, because he walked steadfastly before the Lord is God. So our government today in our nation is weak, and I can turn that equation around and tell you why it's weak. It's weak because our leaders don't walk steadfastly before the Lord their God. You want to know why we have skyrocketing prices and inflation? You, you want to know why we have crime at such epidemic levels? You want to know why we see the kinds of massacres that are going on in our nation because people are either uh, mentally ill or, or have some type of issue related to their upbringing or whatever it is that has caused them to take others' lives. You want to know why that is? Oh, you know, Pastor Tim, they're just people. That, well, why is it so bad now? Why? Have they asked that question? I think it's because our leaders are not walking steadfastly before the Lord our God. They're not. And the consequences of any nation walking or being led in the way that our nation is being led, the consequences have to be what we're experiencing. Otherwise, hearts will never change. And it isn't, easy, it isn't even as if God is saying, well, I'm upset with them, so I'm going to bring these consequences in their life, in the lives of these people. No, it's more that he says, if you act this way, these are the consequences of living this way, of leading this way. He warns us. He doesn't threaten us. He warns us. And then if our leaders persist in going in the wrong direction, the consequences are the consequences of God's word. So what do we do with that today? Well, we need to walk steadfastly before the Lord our God. Amen? And we need to pray that our leaders would walk steadfastly before the Lord our God. And if they don't or refuse to, we need to pray that God would intervene 
and replace those leaders with leaders who will walk steadfastly before the Lord our God. We don't wish anything horrible on them. If I'm going to be honest, sometimes in my flesh I think it. But honestly, we we don't. What we want is good leadership, accountability. We, We want economic prosperity. We want to be blessed. There's nothing wrong with those things. And we're not going to experience those things until the hearts of our leaders change. And you might say, well, Pastor Tim, there's always going to be people who want to kill one another and riot in the streets and cause all kinds of problems. Yes, but when our leaders are walking steadfastly before the Lord our God, then those things can be dealt with properly as opposed to the way they're not being dealt with today. So I think it's a message that really speaks to our hearts. And I'm not talking Democrat or Republican. I'm not talking independent, progressive, socialist, or conservative. I'm simply saying... When leaders respect and reverence God, God blesses their reign, their administration, their rule. And how we desperately need that now. Oh, Pastor Tim, how can you say that? You mean if a godly person was in the White House, someone who at least respected God, you mean we wouldn't have out-of-control inflation and we wouldn't, we wouldn't have all the problems and the gas prices and the problems overseas, the weakness we project overseas and the, and the problems we have in our nation's cities? You know, we wouldn't have those things? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Because the Bible tells me that if you walk steadfastly before the Lord your God, God blesses that nation, that kingdom, that country. So there's a great lesson here in Jotham that we learn just by reading these verses. And, and I love the fact that it says the Ammonites brought him the same amount also in the second and third years. So for like three years, this guy was bringing in because of his strength as a leader and because of his walking steadfastly before the Lord. He was bringing prosperity to such a level, at least for these three years, money was pouring in. Oh, that that would be our problem as a nation. Oh, well, we did experience that for several years recently, but not now. And you know why. So as we look at this, his relationship with the Lord was the source of his strength. He wasn't perfect, but God is perfect, and he served a perfect God. He was fully devoted to the Lord as God. And by the way, he was the fourth consecutive king in Judah to serve the Lord. Now, his fathers, his forefathers failed in their reigns. We talked about that already. But he was the fourth consecutive king in Judah to serve the Lord. He did follow the example of his father Uzziah. That is Uzziah who was devoted to the Lord his God early in his reign. But Uzziah was unfaithful to the Lord his God when he entered that temple to burn incense. And we're told he followed the example of his father, but he didn't do what his father did in terms of failure. So, you know, it's possible to follow the good example of others, like our fathers and our leaders and those who go before us, and not repeat their mistakes, right? You wouldn't want to do that. Well, he showed fear and respect for the Lord by not entering the temple like his father. So we know automatically this man respected and feared God. We're told that explicitly. He was unable, though, to completely eliminate the idolatrous altars from the land. Now, the reason for that is because people in the nation, not sanctioned by the king or his leaders would set up altars on the high places. And they would sacrifice to the local gods. These, they, Paul describes them really as just demons disguised as gods to be worshipped. But these people would worship these gods. And you might be thinking, why would they worship gods? Well, this was about materialism. So they would worship, if they 
were farmers, they would worship Baal, who was a god of storms. Why would you worship a god of the weather if you were a farmer? Well, because you need rain and sun, and you need the weather to cooperate if you're going to be prosperous. And there were others who worshipped various vices, and they worshipped the gods that represented those vices. But ultimately, it was about being prosperous. This king was prosperous because he worshipped God. Some of the people tried to be prosperous by worshipping false gods. And of course, they weren't successful. They never were. But this king couldn't get everyone to follow his lead. And that is just the heart of men and women. You're never going to be able to get everybody to follow the truth. But he did the best he could, I suppose. But in this, he worshipped the Lord but allowed or tolerated false religious practices within his kingdom. He didn't crack down on it. Other kings did. And you can argue whether that's a good way to go, but he did not. He chose not to. In fact, like many of the kings, they looked the other way while others openly disobeyed the word of the Lord. Now, for many years in our nation, uh, we, we had people who would say things, good moral conservative people would say things like that. Well, as long as what they're doing doesn't affect me, I got nothing to say about it. And that was said about homosexuality, transgenderism, gender dysphoria, all the different problems uh, that happen in our world, even crime and things. Many times people would just sort of say, well, you know, that doesn't really affect me. Well, is it affecting you now? Is it affecting your children in school? Is it affecting your world? Can you even watch television without seeing things you wish you didn't have to see? Is it affecting you yet? Because it's affecting me now. And I've been opening up my mouth for a long time, but, you know, I think a long time ago, decades ago, people just decided they weren't going to say anything. And as a result, here we are. Here we are. But, you know, I've been listening to some people, not necessarily Christian leaders, brave enough and bold enough to tell the truth about things. Like, um, I was reading an article, uh, one artist, I won't mention her name, but she was apparently interviewed, and she, she basically, and she's, she's no, like, super righteous Christian or anything like that. But she made a good point. Uh, as a woman, she said, you know, getting surgery to change how you identify doesn't make you a woman. Now, of course, everybody here would say, well, yeah, of course, you, you can't change that. That's your DNA. Oh, how dare you say that, Pastor? Well, I don't know. I mean, that's just a fact. That's not a feel. That's a fact. If you take someone who's done everything they can to their body to appear like the other gender that they're not. If you take a a blood sample, you'll find out they are, in fact, their biological gender. There's nothing you can do. No amount of hormones, no amount of of, of plastic surgery or mutilation can change the fact that that person was born a man or a woman. And she had the nerve to say that. I'm sure she'll be canceled. But I don't think she cares. (laughs) And you know what? Kudos to her. Because there's some Christians who seem to be afraid to say the obvious. Obviously, I'm not. I mean, the obvious is if you're born a woman, you're a woman. If you're born a man, you're a man. Oh, pastor, how about the, like, several hundred people in history who were born with, you know, as hermaphrodites who had, you know, a little of both gender? Well, that's a birth defect. That, that's a, that's a, a deformity. Are we going to start pointing towards genetic deformities to justify what is absurdity? No, of course we're not. So I think it's important for us to continue to speak the truth in love. You know, you can identify as whatever you want to identify as. It doesn't mean that's who you are or what you are. I can identify as a 21-year-old male. 
And I can do that all day, but I'm still 57. No matter how long I, young I look, I am not a 21-year-old male. So it's interesting, you know. Uh, a couple of years ago, there was a woman who was teaching in a college, and she told everybody she was black, and she was actually white, but she presented herself, identified as black, and of course you can't do that. Um, there's some things in this world you can do that you can't. But anyway, so she got busted. The parents outed her, I think. The family said, you know, she's not black, you know. So you can identify as all sorts of things, but at the end of the day, you are who you are. Things are what they are. So I just think it's important that we don't look the other way while others openly disobey the word of the Lord. I think we need to be able to stand up and say the truth, tell the truth in love. We don't hate people for being confused. We pray for them. We're sad for them that they would be so confused that they would want to mutilate their bodies in order to be something they're not. We're sad. We love them. We care about them. We don't want them to be confused. We want them to understand who they are for real. But we're not going to tell them something that just makes them feel good. You know, a number of years ago, I'll tell you this story. I read an article in the UK. There was this a couple of years ago now, probably about 20 years ago now. Uh, there was a, a doctor who lost his license because there are people who, how can I say this, they have mental illness, okay? And they suggest that they don't feel complete because they're perfectly healthy. So there was this one, I think it was a man, I think it was a man, um, or it might have been a woman, I can't remember, again, it was about 20 years ago, the article uh, said that this doctor in the UK removed the perfectly healthy leg of, of a person because that person just felt that they were born to be handicapped and they didn't feel whole until they were crippled. And the doctor did that, and of course he lost his license. So apparently you can remove someone's leg and go to jail, but if you remove their sexual organs, you're applauded. You see, this is a sick world. It really is. And I need to say that because it is a sick world. In the United States, and this was a little bit more recent, there was a woman who always wanted to be blind. So the doctor told her how to blind herself. She did. And now she's happy because she's blind, because she was born to be blind. Oh, she's spiritually blind, all right. But now she's physically blind because some doctor entertained these thoughts. You see, my point is, tell the truth in love. Because people will hurt themselves. People are harming themselves because we have a culture that won't do that. Now, Jotham was a good king. But Jotham didn't stop people from doing the wrong thing. Kind of said, live and let live a little bit. So while he's a good man, this is a problem. And it was a problem with many of the kings, his fathers included. There are a few kings, we'll read, that stepped in and did not allow the people to do these corrupt things. But Jotham wasn't one of them. So while he was a good king, he was not perfect, though his name means Jehovah is perfect, he was not. And so we learn a lot about this man just by reading these few verses. What we do know is he showed great concern for the Lord's temple by making the necessary repairs. And that's a good thing, right? Our leaders, especially at the state and county level, don't seem to be too concerned about the repairs of our roads, right? I'm sure you figured that out already. So you have to be able to maintain buildings. You have to be able to maintain roads, infrastructure. This man understood that. So as a good king, he did that. The upper gate, by the way, which he repaired, provided direct access from the palace of the king 
to the temple. He wanted to be able to go right to the temple. So he repaired that gate. And his communion with God is what provided a strength that no city wall could provide. So he built and repaired the access from his home, his palace, to the temple. I'm going to suggest to you that having access to the house of God for you individually is an exceptionally important thing. What do I mean by access? Well, you don't need to build a road or a highway to get here, but you do need to make time. Some people have said to me over the years, oh, pastor, I come to the church, but it's at nine o'clock in the morning. It's a little too early for me. When I hear that, I think, you know, maybe we should have a 4.45 a.m. service. I mean, come on, at nine o'clock? And then there's some people that, you know, well, you know, I got to work on Sundays. Well, we understand there are some people in certain professions that have to work occasionally on Sundays. But if you're working every time, every Sunday, so that you can't even be here, then repair the access to the house of the Lord. I mean, either find a church that has services at a time you can, or join us at nine o'clock on a Sunday morning by changing your schedule. Make it a priority to have access to the house of God, amen? And to the people of God, and to fellowship. Make that a priority. That's what he did. And it has a lot to say as to why he was successful. Now, Jotham's reign, I mean, one of the things we talked about already is that he was co-regent with his father. Well, this is interesting because he made his son Ahaz co-regent in the year that his father traveled north to lead a coalition against Assyria. So his father goes out to war before he was stricken with leprosy. His father goes out. He's the second king, if you will, like the crown prince. And he realizes, you know, my father could be killed on the battlefield and I'm the king, but you know what? I would like to have backup to me as well. So he gets his son, Ahaz, to be co-regent in that year. And this would have strengthened his position if something happened to Uzziah or Uzziah did not return from the war. Does this sound like a man who's responsible? Does this sound like a man who understands accountability? A man who is not so drunk with power that he thinks, I'm the only one that can rule. You see, we're seeing a quality in this king that's essential for any good leader. His son Ahaz, by the way, politically, there were two parties in, in, in Judah at this time. There was the pro-Assyria policy and the anti-Assyria policy. And so there were two political parties. One believed, uh, we want nothing to do with Assyria. Clearly, Uzziah was of that party. He went to war against them. But interestingly enough, Jotham's son, that would be Uzziah's grandson, was pro-Assyrian. His policy, he believed, making peace with Assyria. It was just a different way of thinking. And they had different opinions. So when Jotham wisely made his son, who was a proponent of the pro-Assyria policy, he made him his co-regent. That was a good political move. It's kind of like what presidents do when they pick their vice presidents. They pick someone who might appeal to a different group of people than themselves. It, it strengthens the leadership of a nation to have various different opinions represented by your leaders. And he understood that. So it's a shrewd political move. It was a good move. It was a smart move. And his son became co-regent even before Uzziah, the father of Jotham, died. So do you know something? Jotham never really ruled alone. He ruled while his father was king. And while his father was king, he made his son one of the kings under him. So there was never a time where Jotham was all by himself unaccountable to anybody. 
Are you starting to see why he was successful? See, the secret to success and prosperity in this world is accountability. I tell you, it is an important principle. It will keep you safe. Because if you allow people to speak into your life, if they feel comfortable approaching you and suggesting, you know what, maybe what you're doing, maybe there's a better way to do it, and you're willing to listen, you're going to make better decisions. The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs, there's safety or wisdom in a multitude of counselors. And yet many people listen to a counsel of one, their own opinion. Jotham was not this kind of man. He was an extremely capable ruler that fortified the defenses around Jerusalem. He did extensive work on the wall at the hill of Ophel, which is the city of David. He built towns in the Judean hills and forts and towers in the wooded areas. He built up the defense of his nation. I was reading an article today about this administration's failure to attract men and women in the military. They're at the levels of our troops are at a crisis because this ridiculous administration, this unpatriotic administration, can never, no matter how woke they try to make the military, cannot attract the right kind of people into the military or any people into the military. You know, they've been fighting for all this nonsense in the military, all this perversion, but the people who actually want to fight in the military aren't interested in any of that. They're interested in standing up for our country and even giving their lives if necessary. Well, those kind of people aren't interested in serving an administration like this, so they're not signing up. So our nation is weaker than it has been in a long time. So how does that work? Well, you see, the problem here is he understood if he didn't build up the defense of his nation, he was vulnerable. And so what did he do? He built up these towns, the forts, the wall. The wall. Yeah, imagine that, a leader building a wall to protect his borders. He conquered the Ammonite kingdom. That was a threat right on his doorstep. He brought them under heavy tribute. He said, oh, if you're going to threaten me, you know what? Now you're going to pay me taxes. <laughs> and this man was so successful. But we're told he was successful because he walked steadfastly before the Lord is God. When you do that, you tend to make better decisions than someone who doesn't. Now, we're told in verse 7, and we'll read verses 7, uh, I guess we'll read right through the end of the book here, maybe. A chapter, excuse me, not book, chapter. Uh, in verse 27, uh, verse 7 of chapter 27. The other events of Jotham's reign, including all his wars. Notice all his wars. Not just, we hear a little bit about this, but all of his wars. It really promotes this idea. He was pretty successful and a strong leader. All his wars and the other things he did are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. And he was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. Jotham rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, and Ahaz, his son, succeeded him as king. Of course, he was already in that place of succession for years before Jotham was no longer king. Let's talk a little bit about a few things here. First of all, the record of all of his other accomplishments has been preserved. You know, the book of 2 Kings records Jotham's reign as king of Judah in 2 Kings chapter 15. But the book of the annals of the kings of Judah is what is included in these books, First and Second Chronicles. But it references in this, in verse 7, the books of the kings of Israel and Judah. That's First and Second Kings. So you have both 
of these records presented to us, recorded for us, one recorded much later than the other, but both reference what happened during the time that Jotham was king. So we actually do know quite a bit about his reign. What we do know from 2 Kings chapter 15, verse 37, he was troubled on his border by an alliance of Rezin, king of Aram, which is Syria, and Pekah, king of Israel, which is the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, they were ungodly, but they were Jews who were ruling in Israel, not serving God. So he's troubled on the border, and it seems that Israel, the northern kingdom, may have hoped to force Judah to join in their rebellion against the Assyrian Empire. And they were closer to Assyria, that is Israel, and they were trying to get Judah to join forces with them to fight against Assyria. That's what this was all about. But I've already mentioned to you that it seems that Jotham and Ahaz were not interested in those types of wars that were unnecessary. But Assyria ultimately destroyed this alliance in response to a request from the besieged Judah. So it's interesting. Assyria came in and took out Rezin and Pekah, king of Israel. So you have Syria and Israel getting together. They want to go against Assyria. What does Judah say? Remember, they're pro-Assyrian at the moment speak to Assyria and say, uh, you, sh- you better take these guys out because they're trying to get us to fight against you. And they took care of their enemies. And now they have peace with Assyria and their enemies, Israel and Syria, no longer are a threat. The wisdom of ruling in this way needs to be mentioned. That is not fighting wars you don't have to fight. Not getting involved in conflicts you don't need to get involved in. I see a lot in this man that I hope our next president will have. I really do, because clearly our current president has none of it. So when I see this, I think to myself, oh my goodness, like, Lord, this is the kind of nation we need to be again. And I hope we will be, and I hope soon. Well, this is what was happening in Judah. But I want to point something out to you. In 2 Kings chapter 15, verse 30, which is the parallel book here, again, uh, 2 Kings chapter 15, verse 30, we read a very interesting statement. And it refers to the 20th year of Jotham, son of Uzziah. I've already mentioned that he ruled for 16 years. What's his 20th year all about? Well, it's interesting because when you study the chronology of this king, we learn a few things. We learn that he actually retired as high king, kind of like the last pope retired. You know, he's still around, but living in Rome, I guess, somewhere in the lap of luxury, but, you know, whatever. But he retired. And the amazing thing is, Jotham died four years after he had retired as high king in his 20th year as king. What do we learn from this? He didn't just co-reign with his son. He actually retired and just handed the kingdom to his son for the last four years of his life, for whatever reason. He had reigned as king for a total of 16 years, as we said. He reigned as co-regent with his father Uzziah for 12 years, eight years as co-regent with uh, just his father, and four years as co-regent with both his father and his son. And then he co-reigned with his son Ahaz for the next four years, and then he said, that's it, I'm done. Yeah, there's something to be said about a man who's led so effectively, or a woman who's led so effectively, that at the latter part of their life, they feel comfortable to just say, I'm done, I'm retiring. If you run a company and you can retire early, that says something about your leadership, right? I mean, if you, if you are in a pastoral situation and you, you're pastoring a church and, you know, there comes a point where you can kind of hand over the reins to someone else because you've done your job thoroughly and properly, it says a lot about your leadership. 
You know, I intend to live a long time, but I don't intend to be the senior pastor of this church forever. There's plenty of good people who can come up behind me and take over when I want to do something else or I'm called to do something else. Or just get older and say, you know what, I, I just, this is, it's time for someone else to do this job. So Jotham did that. I, I so admire that because think about how secure you have to be as a human being to say, I'm leaving everything in your hands and I'm retiring. It says a lot. There are a lot of good lessons about leadership from Jotham's reign. And what we learn, he spent the four years, the final four years in retirement with his son ruling as monarch. Then, of course, we read it already. He rested with his fathers in Sheol. I think we read it, right? We read all the way through. It says there that uh, maybe I stopped. It says uh, they're written in the books of the, uh, all the things that he did, the other things he did, are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. And then we read that he, he reigned 25 years. Uh, he was 25 years old when he reigned, 16 years. But it says Jotham rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, and Ahaz, his son, succeeded him as king. And it's just a smooth transition. It's, just a, it's a beautiful thing, given the history of Judah over the last few decades. This man died, rested in waiting for God's judgment to come and just waiting to be ushered into glory when Jesus descended into the heart of the earth and let all of those who were held captive at that point free into heaven. He was buried in the city of David in the tomb of the kings of Judah. Now, understand, he was the only one of the last four good kings in Judah to be given full honors in his death. Let me remind you, there was Joash who was assassinated This was his great-grandfather. He was assassinated and buried in the city, but not in the tombs of the kings. And then there was Amaziah. That would be his grandfather. He was assassinated and was still buried in the tombs of the kings, but he was assassinated. And then there was Uzziah, we've already talked about, who was a leper and was buried in a field near the tombs of the kings because he was a leper. So his three predecessors, his ancestors really were not given full honors in their death. This man was. It says a lot. And so he becomes the shining example of godly leadership over God's people. He consistently maintained communion with the Lord throughout his reign. And that is the secret to success. As a Christian, as a godly man or woman, he also exercised his authority while remaining openly accountable to others, as we've already seen. He understood the importance of raising up successors through mentoring and delegation. He seems to have been committed to this, and not just in principle, but in practice. And he is the only one of all the kings from Saul down to maintain a perfect record as king. Now, granted, he couldn't control the people. He didn't, he didn't clamp down on the people who had these corrupt practices. We've talked a little bit about that already. But there's nothing bad to say about this guy. There's really nothing bad to say about him. His great-grandfather, grandfather, and father all did well, but then had these great moral failures. Not this man. And yet he is one of the least known by man. When I think of the kings of Judah, Jotham is not the first name that jumps out. In fact, some of you may have never heard the name before. And while he is the least known by man, he's fully approved by God. And there's a principle there. Being famous, being well-known, 
being popular does not make you a good man or a good woman. In fact, many times it's the exact opposite. I think so many of our leaders are concerned with being liked, they're so concerned with being well-known, they're not as concerned with being good or godly. And if you choose to be a good and godly leader, people may never know your name. They may know what your name means, though. His name meant Jehovah is perfect. They may know that God is good. They may know that God is perfect. And they may remember your name or they may not. But one thing I can tell you, that's not as important as them remembering that walking steadfastly before the Lord your God is, if if I can say it's a secret, it's not really a secret, the secret of success and prosperity. It is the way you can be successful in this life. And this man proves it. And yet, he is not the most celebrated king in the Bible. And yet, if we look at his life, his life was celebrated by God. Well, Ahaz, his son, succeeded him. That is, Jotham is king of Judah. And if you're interested in more information about the reign of Jotham, Isaiah, Hosea, and Micah all record the moral condition of Judah during the reign of Jotham. It was a good time in the kingdom. Uh, He wasn't a particularly famous or well-known king, but he was an exceptionally capable king. So I guess we have to ask ourselves a question as we close. Do we want to be famous? Do we want to have our ego stroke? Do we want to be the kind of people that, quote-unquote, make our mark in life? Or are we more interested in promoting the truths of God's word, raising up others, and passing on a legacy that will follow us in life? Because good leaders do that exact thing, and Jotham was a good king. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for the example of this man. We ask that we would be able to emulate, that is, copy, to some degree, the example, follow the example of this man who lived his life for you and lived his life in a way that honored you and blessed your people. Lord, give us leaders in our nation, in our churches, in our communities, in our state even in our corporations in this nation. Give us leaders who are willing to stand up for you and walk steadfastly before you, to honor you with their lives, and to speak the truth in love, that you might restore us as a nation to prosperity, to blessing, and to godliness. Oh, Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.